Jordan is a proud member of the But Why Though podcast community. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of So Here's What Happened. I am your host, Nisha, and I am joined by my lovely co-host. Carolyn. Hi. Yes, we are back and it is 2021 and we are ready to talk about all the things we have watched in red and come together and talk about what we loved and maybe didn't love about them. How you been doing, Carolyn? I know it's like, <laughs> this is technically our February episode. So it's been a whole month and a half into 2021. I've been off and on. I have not had the best start to 2021 for a, no, yeah, because when we last recorded, I was not sick and I am oh, sick right. now. I had COVID. Yeah. I still have COVID, tested positive twice, which sucks for me too. Oh, no. um, but I'm doing much, much better uh the only thing that and this is something that a lot of people have is like persistent tiredness and extreme backache which is which I wasn't expecting and I think my taste my taste is bad but it's not back the same as it was before I've noticed it changed Mm -hmm. and most of my sweet receptors aren't like things that were sweet before don't taste the same as they do now and smell I noticed recently I noticed the other day that my smell I don't think my smell is back so because I was oh. cooking something. I was cooking dump. I was doing beef, um, a beef, beef filling for dumplings for, um, for Lunar New Year. And I could not smell. I could barely even, I could barely smell the ginger. And I was like, wait, my oh. smell is gone. I was like, crap. So I don't know. I hope you'll come back completely. But I yeah, most so. some, yeah, I hope so too. Because like, I want to smell sweet things. <laughs> um but other than that I've been pretty good I've done some really nice um projects at the beginning of the year wrote a couple of pieces one on Bridgerton actually I did a couple pieces for Bridgerton I did an interview with a French um um a French film well it's a new site but they do like film criticism as part of it and I did an interview with that and I spoke to another writer for BBC um the Spanish BBC and I'll link we'll link those in the post when everything is up and I've been doing the after round tables and I've been really enjoying those those have been always fun and they've been like some of the bright spots in my day like even if I don't have the energy I'm like I'm gonna find it and then crash for the rest of the day um and then I did Sundance which I am but what about you Nisha um for me I mean Honestly, I feel like it's been pretty chill as far as the first, got through the first month. It is now, oh, also Black History Month. Yay. We Black, we great. We love ourselves. Um, I've put out, oh, I guess I'll talk about this now. I did, I wrote my piece about anti-Blackness in anime. That got some great reception from people. And then I also received some not so great reception from racist people or people who just want to excuse racism and anti-Blackness because it doesn't affect them or they just have this puristic view of what anime is and don't want to acknowledge that things can be bad also. But anyways, if y'all would like to read that, I highly recommend it. I'm very proud of the piece. I think it is very eye-opening for people to understand that just, and, and I, maybe like one day I will go into this further and do like a sequel to that piece, but it's important for folks to understand what anti-Blackness is and how it can exist in medium. And that's why I wrote it, especially as like, as a huge fan of anime, it was important for me to write about how there is anti-Blackness in it and how it affects me, but I still love the industry because it doesn't, 
affect my love for the industry, but it does, it does affect how the industry does not love or care about their black viewers back. And it's, and it's very clear. And there are many examples over the year of how anti-blackness exists in anime. And I want people to understand that. So, but hopefully people will go check that out and give it a read. I'm very proud of it, but that's been my start of the year, you know, fighting racists on Twitter, which not really. <laughs> I literally make one snide remark, screenshot, block, report, and I'm like, I will use you for a TikTok video. So. <laughs> yeah, no, don't let them get to you. Um, nah. Because these people, they know what racism is. They know what anti-blackness looks like. Yeah. They see it, but they want to pretend that it doesn't exist. And they try to excuse it. And like, there's something, mm-hmm. uh, we talked about this, is, we talked about this before. Like, and everyone knows I'm a K-pop fan and I love um, Asian dramas. And there are things that I see that happen on film, on screen in dramas. And I'll be like, what are you people thinking? It's 2021 right. and we're still doing this stupidness. Like you people know what cultural appropriation is. You know what blackface is. You know what, yeah. be, you know what being offensive because like, they've been told repeatedly by fans and then the same thing happens with K-pop. And they'll be like, oh, it's not appropriation, it's appreciation. I'm like, nah, it's not appreciation. If I, the person that you're supposed to be appreciating, I'm offended. Mm-hmm. And they know and they try to make excuses. So, but don't let the haters get to you. Like, if you, you know that you're getting to them because what you're saying is right, and they know that, but they want to pretend otherwise. And it's like, they don't understand that you can criticize something and still enjoy it. Right. Like, I am and able to still consume something and enjoy it, but, like, that does not mean we should not call out when things are bad, especially because exactly. creators need to know. Because I refuse to believe at this point in 2021 that we are going to say, like, well, they don't know. They just don't know. They don't know how to draw Black people. They don't know how your guys' hands work. How is one side of our hands lighter than the other side, Carolyn? They just don't know how to shade us in lighting, but they went to art school. They get paid to draw, they get paid to illustrate, but they don't know how to draw us unless it looks like a bad racist caricature. How? And, and the thing is like, those arguments don't even make sense because black people nope. exist all over the world. Black people live in Japan, black people live in South Korea, black people live in Taiwan, black years. people live in China. Like they are black, there are black Japanese who are born, who are ethnically Asian and ethnically black. There right. are people who, who migrate and immigrate, not even migrate, sorry, but who immigrate to Asian countries and they've been living there for 20, 30, 40 years. Yeah, for years. Since World War II and even slightly before. Even before, yeah, because migration, the- traveling, everything. People I can know. literally go anywhere because they can. They just assume that, I don't know, for whatever reason, that Asia, specifically Japan, is just like, like, isolated, like- isolated from everything. I'm like, y'all are really, y'all just don't get it. And that's sad, but... Huh. One day we're gonna we're we're gonna have to do an anti-blackness in media or medium. Please, yeah, let's do a special. Yeah, I think maybe get all into it. We can definitely get into it and dissect it further because I just refuse to allow people to continue to live in the ignorance of well, they don't know how to draw you guys, or you know what, you should go on, you should you should go make your own thing or go and support black creators. And like, well, funny fact thing is, I do support other black creators. I always loudly support anybody who's in the anime space or animation space who want to create things centered on black people or just diverse I support that but ending anti-blackness in entertainment does not only is not the sole responsibility of the black people like in order Mm -hmm. to end it and I mean anti-blackness the racism of like when I say this I speak as a black woman but like 
for all races like the responsibility is on everybody like if you're in this space and you see it happening and you see this project and you could be like somebody needs to speak up and say that's bad you shouldn't draw this person this way but anyways (laughs) that's a preview of when we do that episode I guess but let's get into our regular episode and talk about what we read Right. So what we're going to talk about first for reading is I have read Living Heroes by Stephanie Williams. And this is a great comic by Stephanie. She began fundraising for it on Kickstarter, I believe, in around 2018, 2019, late 2018, early 2019. And this was a dream that Stephanie had. Like She's a huge, huge comic book fan. Her knowledge of comic lore and mythology is vast, Mm -hmm. especially for Black characters and Marvel in particular. And she is, if you see Stephanie on Twitter, she's hilarious and she's always making memes and these little videos and kind of integrating Black pop culture mm-hmm. into like comics, um, into comic references. Like one of my, some of my favorite ones is when she talks about um, Professor X and like that bald-headed hole. He's so trash when you really think about him. And the way she uses <laughs> right. comedy to point out the issues in comic um and comic mythology and, and characterizations of characters of color, particularly black characters. It's kind of the same thing we were talking about with anime and, and racism and um, in anime. Like what you're talking about is like she loves Marvel and she loves comic books, but she can still see that there are issues and they're so stereotyped mm-hmm. with the characters. And some of that is pointed out in Living Heroes because what she does is she takes the setting and the universe of Living Single, which is one of the most, if not the most, popular black sitcom from the yes. 90s and she uses the as she takes that storyline and some of the storyline of the universe and the culture and inserts um black characters from marvel and some from dc i believe into the story and it's hilarious and it's so funny and there's so many cultural references for to black hair black clothing and speak and speech and history in that she and her team have put in that's so well done and so well written i'm so happy for stephanie and her team mm-hmm. so it's written by stephanie williams the artist is O'Neill Jones and the colorist is Christina Puak. And they like again, it's so pretty. I just love like all the all the black women are like dark skin. Like yay. Yeah. And they all have different hairstyles. Like for instance, you have Monica Rambo is Khadija. And you have and Aurora Monroe Storm is Regine. And Misty Knight is Sinclair and Jennifer Walters, who is um one of the iterations of of She-Hulk is Maxie and they're perfect and especially I love Miss Tonight because like, all she has like all of these different hairstyles like one mm-hmm. panel she'll have like um Bantu Nelson and another panel she'll have like, an Afro puff or an Afro with her um straight bang <laughs> and it's right. funny and like she makes references to like Black History and then like, she also makes references as I said to um how characters are treated not only in comics but also in the like there's either all of the black um superheroes come together they oh it's black history must know we're gonna get um <laughs> we're they're gonna bring us up because normally you only have one black superhero um mm-hmm. going on a scene where you but you can have like six and seven white superheroes gathered up together so like she makes those kind of references and then she talks about here and 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 like skin and it's so funny and then there's of course it's also sexy because there's like relationships between right. like Storm and Yukio and other characters like some of these are characters I don't know about um like Yukio is a character I don't know about there's Forge mm-hmm. um who I have a big understanding of and then of course there's T'Challa 
the the kind he's a kind of um the way I read his character is almost like Republican. <laughs> right. I read him as like this Jesus Republican dude, like who's always walking around in his sweaters with Jesus speaks like and the and I can hear the characters' voices, especially to Chalice, because you know, rest in peace, Chadwick Boseman, Boseman. Yeah. But like when I think of T'Challa, that's whose voice I hear. So the reading like, the lines in his comic and his voice is actually super hilarious. Right. And like she even makes a reference to the um, this SNL skit with the potato, the potato salad. And he's yeah. like, oh, hell no, Karen. <laughs> yeah, like those kind of references are hilarious. But I love she has to do some volume what happens at the end and no more about the story with Storm and some of these characters. I'm like, she got to do a second season. Yeah. I hope so. so. I hope so. so. I'm so happy for her. Yeah. And, and I, then, oh, no, go ahead. No, I was going to say she's also, and she's managed and she's turned this into a great opportunity with Marvel, mm-hmm. where she's going to be doing a special edition of Marvel. She, she's going to be talking about Monica Ramboy, the character she picked. And we'll provide information about that in the the podcast blog post too and by links to her site and everything but i'm so happy for stephanie and i can't wait to see how much further this goes like hopefully she'll be able to be a writer on a marvel film one day and like that's like my oh my god could you stephanie. imagine her on a monica rambo listen are you just writing on the scene because okay so hold up so we're going to talk about wandavision a little later but i think yes. writing an episodes for wandavision or even if they do like someone on twitter pitched um uh, uh x-files version of yes of Marvel with, that's um, literally with what i asian want Wu, with asian Wu and monica rambo and i would love if stephanie manages to write for that show because her sense of humor and her, i think goes along perfectly with the with the kind of university building out of the wanda vision universe it has a it's a bit more comedic mm-hmm. than the films and i think the other shows are too because it looks like um falcon and Winter Soldier. Yeah, it's not Winter. Yes, yeah, Falcon Winter, Winter Soldier. Soldier. Yeah, they're 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 gonna have that kind of comedy because they they have this natural chemistry that almost everything they say can either be comedic or really serious depending on how you interpret it. So I would love for Stephanie to be able to write on these shows. I just love to see Black women winning and like yes. see my friends winning, and I'm like, yes, like twenty like twenty twenty has sucked and twenty twenty one has had its horrible moments, but I mm-hmm. love to see us winning despite everything. So yay, Steph. Yes, yay yeah. her. Everything. I'm like, yay I just her. like having followed and like known stuff for a while. It's just like a beautiful thing to see. Like, because if y'all know, if y'all follow Steph, y'all know she literally makes me spit out my coffee when yeah. I see some of her tweets or her jokes or her videos about Batman. So it's just like, I do love seeing this for her. And I know, like, last night I was like on Twitter and scrolling and then like, the other thing y'all should definitely follow her for is because like there's she has a few web comic series um also that th- where she for like it's I it'll play into like the comic book heroes and like but what it's called but what if though um so we can also link that but there's mm-hmm. just like more hilarity in that and then somebody had made it like hey this scene like this most recent one, it had a vixen trying on wigs and like some and then like stuff like she's like omg and she's put like Pam and Gina from Martin. And I was just like, if you are about to make a DC Universe X meets Martin, I'm here for it. I'm so here for this. I'm all for it. I'm all for it. If she does like versions of them with like, let me see, Fresh Prince. Like she should, like she should just create this X-Men universe of taking Black shows 
and yes. we're going to miss your comments. So you, we have living singles, and the next one would be Martin. And then if one could be um, Fresh Prince of Bel Air, and then the, like that would be awesome. I'm here for I'm all of it. I'm going to hope she does that. And, it's so beautiful. Oh, so I just and so I just looked at my notes again. So okay, so the the Marvel um, collaboration that I spoke about, guys. Mm-hmm. Well, she's doing. Marvel Voices Legacy Monica Rambo. So this is a special initiative that's being done with uh, women of color creatives who are mm-hmm. fans of Marvel who uh, who do Marvel content. So she's one of the um, collaborators, and that is coming out on February the twenty fourth. So we'll put the detail. We'll link the details in the post. Awesome. Um, well, then I guess it is now my turn. So for y'all who may not know this, I love art books specifically anime art books and I have started to acquire a bit of a collection uh specifically I have nearly all of Hayao Miyazaki's Studio Ghibli movies art books and I like if y'all understand like these bring me so much joy because not only do you get like the original screenplay in like when you get these books you get the intro it's tied into like the source material and everything so but before i get into this any further uh this one is for how's moving castle it's a beautiful oversized hardcover art book um with a glossy cover but what i love about it so much is that like you get like original concept art and i'm like showing carolyn even though i know y'all can't see it but i'll put some of the pictures in our show notes but you get original concept art of it like this these are his watercolor sketches like if y'all know Hayao Miyazaki he draws everything by hand so it's like you truly get to appreciate all the work and all the effort that goes into the year but then you also get behind the scenes thing like how he'll comment on why scenery scenery was set up certain ways how about lighting about characters and it's like it's just so beautiful and you get all this content and then there's like a breakdown of Hal's castle and how he wanted to envision it and why it's like so chaotic. Mm-hmm. And again, I, I can truly, these are books that like have a high read, re, like what is it called? People say like high replay value when it comes to games, but I say high reread. I would read this anytime. I don't know what the, <laughs> I would read this multiple times. And oh, also you get the entire script from the movie, the screen oh, in the back. And this only costs yeah. twenty five dollars. Oh, that's a lot. That's a fair price for for such a, and it's a pretty big book too. It's like really thick. Mm-hmm. It's thick. It's pretty big. It's like it's this is considered like an oversized art book. Not like I've mm-hmm. seen bigger art books. Like if y'all are familiar with Rihanna and Rihanna's art book that she put out, that's a true like oversized art book. It's like this big, like, and I say wow. this big as in like, imagine probably thirty six inches wide. Like that's how big it is. Yeah. We're gonna be extra. But uh, that is actually kind of small for an art, but because I have some for films that I get for like promotion and they, they're usually, they look, some of them look pretty, a little bit bigger than that. Like the one I got for Over the Moon, I love that mm-hmm. one. is so pretty. And, and you have like illustrations by Guapay. By, um, and it looks a bit bigger than that. So that one looks like almost a standard size, um, yeah. like storybook from back in R&D, just a bit mm-hmm. thicker. Yeah, yeah, I would say this is standard size for like a basic art book. It's it's compared oversized because like you'll find some art books that can be like this big, which I mm-hmm. prefer mine to be bigger because like you can really enjoy all the pages and like you can just like, I don't know, I, they look so beautiful all stacked up next to each other on my bookshelf. <laughs> oh, and then the best part, if y'all enjoy like many Hayao Miyazaki Studio Ghibli fans enjoy anime and food, like food 
the food in anime. You just get to see close-ups of how he drew the food. <laughs> so it does look so good. It's just like the bacon and the eggs and cheese. And I'm just like, that bread looks fluffy. I would like to eat that bread. Yeah, there's there, there's a show. Um, is it Food Wars? I haven't mm-hmm. watched it, but I've seen clips of it. And the food always looks so good. It's the same thing like when I watch so a Korean jealous. drama. But I should never watch a Korean. People, take my advice. Do not watch a Korean drama on an empty stomach or if you don't have food or snacks. Because there are some of them that, like, when they show you the food, like, you can tell the directors and the cinematographers and everyone, they just mm-hmm. enjoy food and it's such part of their culture. And I'm like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I agree. But, like, same with this book because I have to eat because I'm just, it's just so much. <laughs> but, I mean, the reason why I specifically chose this one for the first one, because, I, like I said, I have a big, my collection is growing for my art books. I really mm. enjoy these um, me, these art books by Hayao Miyazaki. It's because just of all the details. And if y'all have, if y'all, like, know me, How's Moving Castle is one of my favorite Studio Ghibli movies. And I've always been curious. And Carolyn, I don't know if you've seen um, How's Moving Castle. Um, I have not watched a whole film. One of these, listen, okay. one of my goals for 2021 mm-hmm. is to watch uh, to watch all the Hio Miyazaki, Miyazaki films. Um, because I know so much people on my team time I love, love it. And I've seen clips of them. I see like mm-hmm. gifts and I've seen clips and like, people talking about them. Uh, like Princess Mononoke and stuff. I want to watch them. And that is one of my goals for this year because mm-hmm. and. I'm telling myself I'm home. Most days, if I don't have interviews or if I don't have any writing to do, I just spend my days watching dramas. I'm like, I can be, I need to be watching films too. And I've started doing that. I've been trying to watch mm-hmm. one film at least um, every Sunday. Uh, I kind of fell behind the last couple of Sundays because I, I did Sundance. But mm-hmm. yeah, so like my intent and goal for this year is to watch all of his films. I think it's doable. And now, like if you have HBO Max, like all of them in, are finally in one place because- Oh, really? Take, I didn't know yeah. they're on HBO. Oh yeah, they're all of the Studio Ghibli, um, I guess cinematic universe is on HBO Max. So if y'all did not know that, join Carolyn in the rewatch also because when I say beautiful and worth the time, it, they truly are. And like I, like I was going to say to like wrap this up, the reason why I chose How's Moving Castle for this review is because How's Moving Castle has some of the most detailed designs of like interior designs, like background in the rooms, like How's Room alone is a chaotic, beautiful mess. But now you get to like read it and understand like why he positioned things certain ways and like how he set it up and why he wanted to do that. And then you get background information about why the room looks that way. Like there's a lot of stuff that there's theories where like, oh, Hal didn't have a childhood or like how this and how that. And then like, you know, that's why he's like this and he seems like a child. Like it's a great read, especially if y'all also like the House Moving Castle books. Cause like that, this, the movie, the film is based off of um, off of an original series so mm. those are great but that is my book so then let's go ahead we're gonna do a little something different this time we're gonna save tv for the end so we can get into wandavision and but for now we can talk about film so what have you been watching for film um so for film today i'm going to talk about sundance a little bit i'm not going to try to go too into it because like you got to save time and stuff but um i had a blast with sundance and it was a bit difficult and a bit different this year because everything because of the quarantine everything had to change so it was all virtual online same thing as happened with tiff real asian and fantasia fest all of those festivals were done online and this one was really good like there were some really really good films and i'll talk about my top three and then I'll give um, three honorable mentions 
So the first film I mentioned is Summer of Soul or When the Revolution Could Not Be Televised by Amir Questlove Thomas. Thompson, sorry. And so this is a documentary and it's about this festival, the Harlem Cultural Festival, which took place in the summer of 1969, the same summer as Woodstock, but it did not get any, like no one knew about it before this documentary. So unless you experienced it then in 1969, um, that you didn't really even know that this, that this festival happened because all the footage that was recorded of it kind of got lost for the last 50 years in storage and it was it was supposed to be televised on tv same thing as was start and it didn't happen and one i think one of the reasons it happened uh, it's again because the the people who planned it or the people who were responsible for having it televised they didn't understand or they didn't know what exactly what they had on hand or how to use it but it did happen because like the biggest promoter of it was like Maxwell House Coffee, which was like super popular at that time. Mm-hmm. And they had like some of the biggest black performers, um, black North American performers singing in this festival. You had Mahalia Jackson, you had the Edwin Hawking singers, you had, um, you, you had Black Soul Sister, Aretha Franklin. Oh. Um, you, you had, uh, you're gonna you can edit out these parts I'm like going um um I Gladys Knight she sang and this was one of her first um live performances before she really became popular and before she became the star that everyone knew her to be and like you have these interviews with some of the performers like who are like now and then like some who and then you have people who knew the ones that have passed on and they talk about them and like, it's so good to see this festival and see all of these black people they have over 300,000 black people in Harlem at this one location for like um because it took place over a period of weeks over the summer and it was mm-hmm. so good to see and I, I was that I watched this at home by myself in my bedroom and I wish I could have seen it in a cinema with a black audience because I know we would have all been singing along we all would have been like like just having a blast and I mm-hmm. do I wish I could have seen it in a cinema with black people but it was so good to see all of these black musical icons and then when you watch it like um, he doesn't really hint at it, but like if you know black history and if you know black musical history in particular, uh, you know you can see the influences of these musicians in almost every single music genre that 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 we see from around the world now. Like you can see the influences in hip hop, you can see the influences in R and B, you can see the influences in rap because a lot of it has so much foundation into black culture that you can hear the rhythms and you can see the rhythms and like how we as black people we can we can integrate gospel into r&b <laughs> and you know what i mean but like you because there's such soul like and soul is a word that a lot of people use all mm-hmm. sense of shit, but there is soul and like you recognize it like we're especially across the diaspora and it's so good to see and it's like he did a fantastic job constructing this um this documentary and then my second um film that i'll mention is well indian by lal mitchell corbin jr and he's a Native American, and he wrote this film, and it's his first feature film, and he, I think he did an extremely good job for his first feature film. There are some things I did not like with regards to, like, some character moments in the film. Um, like, the lead actor is Michael Gray, I feel as fine as ever, and his, um, the second lead is Chas Spencer. Like, I've never seen Chas Spencer anything, but he did a fantastic job, and, like, they didn't have much scenes together and I wish they did because him and Michael Michael Gray Eyes have like they were super intense together in their scenes and they worked so well on Michael Gray Eyes. I have to say if he is not in any award contention for 2022, like 
scratch the whole thing because like he's so good in this film and he's like terrifying and intense and scary and it's this and it's a story about this this um this young boy who grew up he was raised in the part of the like if you if you're familiar with um history of native american and indigenous peoples across north america is the catholic church they took many many kids and they tried to basically brainwash them and force them into converting into Catholicism at these residential schools, and they were subjected to horrible physical, emotional, and mental abuse. And Michael's character, Michael, like he would be in one, and like that, and his home environment kind of like he 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 like kind of made him disassociate from society. And he had also, I think, like sociopathic tendencies because if you mm. watch the film, you see what I mean. But the way that um, Lel integrates the history of Native Americans and and their culture into the storyline that talks about he talks about capitalism he talks about mm-hmm. a, a, um, assimilation and he talks about white acceptance and why people of color like Native Americans in particular want to integrate into this um, white society who who tries to dictate who they should be and who they can't be and it's like no matter what you try to do, like, like it's just thing for black people, like, like you know, we say twice as um, twice is gonna have as far, and it's mm-hmm. like you have to try even more. You have to try to prove that you are worthy of being in these spaces, these white spaces, and it's like, why should he even have to try to be in white spaces? Because they're on his land, like this, they're on Native American land, and it's like, and he deals with that so. I think he wrote it so well, and like, there's so much nuance to it. Like, I as a black person can recognize the noise, uh, some history of Native American indigenous, um history in North America but even I don't there's still something that I can fully get because I'm not Native America but I think it's a, such mm-hmm. a good film and a lot of discussion and um and like I hope a lot of people get to see it um and then the third film I'm going to mention that I really really enjoyed is Amy Penn and Unintended Grammar by James Redford and uh, this is a documentary about Amy Tan, about her history as a writer, her life, her, um, her relationships with her family members and her art. And it gives a really detailed and introspective look at her life and what led her up to her becoming a writer in her life during and after being and, and all of the success she had, especially with the Joylet Club. And it talks about her relationship with her mother and how her mother inspires her writing. And she and her mother had a very contentious relationship when she was uh when she was young and as a teenager up into like adulthood and like you can see how how much Amy loves her mother but then how she struggled to understand her mother and it's the same thing for her mother with her like her mother being um her mother had been suffered with mental illness and then later in life she suffered with Alzheimer's and like how these kind of things can impact teenagers and as 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 mm-hmm. especially even people who are creatives because it shows that how like things that we're experiencing and our lives do change how we look at the world and like using our art as catharsis like any time for her writing for her was a way to get out her feelings and then and then it also talks about how for her the pressures of success and how people expect you to keep producing the same type of content over and over and she, then like there was a time where she stopped writing because she just couldn't and like, I love that they talk about all of these sides of being an artist and being a creator mm-hmm. and it shows like she's not just a writer like she's an amazing artist um like painter like she like so like for her like part of her process of like decompressing or just enjoying her life is how she looks at creatures and she can create these extremely detailed sketches and paintings of like birds and animals and flowers and they're so lovely 
and I hope maybe one day she'll do an art book because I think that would be fantastic. But I think it was a really good um, documentary that really, and it, it's always good when you have documentaries about people and people are still alive and they're able to share their thoughts and their, um, and their feelings about how people perceive them and we are not just getting like secondhand knowledge from like your friends and family. So I really love that. Right. And then I'm just going to give my honorable mention. So the first one is um, In the Same Breath by Nan Fu Wang. And this is a documentary about the COVID pandemic and how it started from the outbreak in Wuhan and, and then spread across North America and around the world. And I think it's something that everyone wants has to see. It's going to be difficult because like for me, it was difficult because I watched this as when it was still really sick with COVID and mm. it, I cried because it was a lot like she takes such care and like it does it's not as point at all it's about it, the way she looks at it it's someone who's just trying to get answers right. and who's trying to understand what happens and it's, it's extremely well researched and um I, it's one of the, i think one of the best documentaries from the festival and so as i said it's just in the same breath if you get a chance to watch it do and then there's flea this is another documentary and it's an animated document documentary and it's very mm-hmm. unique I, it's hard to explain what it how how it looks without because it's, it's it's so different. I've never seen it. It's like you have the person who's telling again, telling their story. Amir, this is his um, this is an alias because like they did it to protect him, and it's about his mm-hmm. his his flight with his family from Afghanistan when war broke out in there after the Soviet Union um pulled out and going across to Russia and the the xenophobia and the racism and the abuse they suffered and the the hardships that being a refugee takes. And then his move to Sweden and his and he talks about his family and how being a refugee is both emotionally and physically exhausting and traumatic. And then it talks about him being gay and living in a society where he's not sure who he was, and then discovering right. who he is and himself and his relationships. And I just it's such a well done documentary. And again, it's beautiful and it's produced by Johannes Poor Rasmussen. And then my last and final honorable mention is One for the Road by Bas Ponferia. And this is a beautiful film. It talks about death and grief and moving on and acceptance and friendship. And it's such a well-shot film like, to see these films for the festival. Awesome. Well, I'm really excited to like read your reviews and check that out. And I think everybody else should like definitely make sure you are following Carolyn as she continues her coverage and check those out. And oh yeah, now it's my turn. <laughs> um, so for me, I decided that I was going to stay in the vein of Studio Ghibli, and I watched Irwin the Witch. <laughs> and so I'm just going to give you the, the brief summary of it. It follows an orphan girl, Irwig, who is adopted by a witch and comes home to a spooky house filled with mystery and magic. So this is very hard for me to say this but this is pro- this is the first time in my life I have to say I did not enjoy a Studio Ghibli film um but let's get into that a little bit further so that yes this movie is made by Studio Ghibli it is directed by Goro Miyazaki so this is Hayao Miyazaki's son um he is also known for directing from up on Poppy Hill and I think there's one other, The Legend of Earthside, um, Earthsea. I, I'm not too familiar with that one, but I, I did like his work with um, From Up on Poppy Hill, and he's done some other things. But this is the first Studio Ghibli film made in 3D CGI, which for those who are not familiar with it, it's 
this it's not this new revolutionary thing as far as like animation because like we've seen Pixar but this is slightly different when you see it in anime because it's very impressive how you can take anime and transport it into a 3D CGI world and this is the first time it's being done with a Studio Ghibli product and for that love the art love the designs really enjoyed all that. I think they seamlessly transferred the 2D world that is Studio Ghibli into a 3D CGI film with like, and that beautifully done, loved it. What I don't like is that the story feels like the third act is missing. There's like the story, the summary that is told to you is the story that is told to you, except there's lacking some mystery there's lacking some depth there's lacking growth there's just like this is also I think one of the shortest Studio Ghibli movies I've ever seen most of these movies go on for two hours or like two hours and like 20 or 30 minutes this is the shortest Studio Ghibli film so it felt odd when the movie ends and it's just ends and you're just sitting there like what about everything else because the film opens up with a chase where Earwig's mother is running away with her and has to leave her at an orphanage to keep her safe because she says the council of 12 witches are after me it's not safe for you right now so I'll leave you here but I'll come back for you one day great thrilling adventure thrilling car chase happening at the beginning of the movie when I tell you that's the most exciting thing that happens in this film is that and then we don't get anything else about the council of 12 witches at all and then the poster that is like basically given to you like on the poster earwig is this little girl she's very spunky like you know she's she's always been able to get people to do whatever she wants which i think is a hint at her magic that she has no idea that she has that people just like do what she wants but like everybody loves her except for like these witch people that adopt, adopt her where it's like it's a witch and a demon and he looks like a regular just super tall man but anyways so on the cover Earwig is on stage with these witches because the witches have a band and they make music which the mo- the music in this movie is great but I'm just so confused by like, was that something that was supposed to happen? Was Earwig eventually supposed to like jam out with the witches in the mood? Like, like once everybody comes back because they're a coven. So their band is a coven where like that, like, you know how witches have covens and like, you know, they have rules or whatever and sense of belonging and whatnot. But her mother, for some reason leaves. I'm not clear on if that was because Earwig was born is why she left the coven. And I'm not clear why that meant her life was then, then had to be in danger. We just know that her leaving the coven broke up the band because she left and the two other people, they end up adopting Earwig. And then you're just kind of left like, do they know who Earwig is? Is that why they adopted her? Don't know truly so they don't give any kind of backstory to it at all it gives backstory but it doesn't give enough backstory like you know like I don't understand how like did they go there purposely to adopt Earwig and why did they adopt her because like they know it's from their former coven member Mm -hmm. daughter and they want to protect her because maybe she was in danger if she wasn't around other people like other witches great just explain that 
but then it's like all this like oh the council of 12 witches i'm like who are they and who what are you people? who are you people and what threat do you pose <laughs> to earwig's mother because she literally shows up you know and i'm saying spoilers because it's been out for three weeks now and it's also the shortest movie ever but the mom shows back up at the end and it's christmas and she's just like hi earwig and i'm just like and that's it so do you think they, they did that time for part two I, I I don't know and it's frustrating because I the way that a lot of Studio Ghibli movies work there are no sequels um they don't like I, I mean if this one breaks the mold and there's a sequel great I would love that it's very open-ended um I know that this movie just like House Moving Castle is based off of an original work so I've been curious about reading the original work to see like okay let me see what the original story is and if this I mean because it does accomplish the task of telling the story of an orphan girl who's adopted by a witch and then becomes a witch's apprentice but when I tell you the most exciting thing that happens is the car chase in the beginning and there's just there lacks a third act there lacks mm. Uh, there lacks a buildup from all the tension that's building up and true resolution and character death and growing because it's like it's like after this big not even a big fight it's just like earwig and the witch that adopts her just kind of clash like the witch is bossy and she just tells her what to do and earwig has been used to telling everybody what to do from her whole life because she's a witch also but and she's just like hey lady will you teach me how to do magic and that that's the whole thing for the rest of the movie of her like basically asking this woman to teach her magic and the witch saying like no you're too stupid to learn magic and then eventually six months time skip later earwig gets to learn how to use magic but we don't get to see none of that but i just i it just really lacks a story it lacks a third part in the story and that's what I will say but sorry I get exhausted and I'm just like disappointed because I was like we haven't had a Studio Ghibli movie in four years so Mm -hmm. it was just very disappointing that this was the first one in the first one in 3D CGI besides that great art great music great soundtrack um just no third act (laughs) I just want to know who told y'all to rush it's COVID I would have understood a delay I would have like you could have told me we need two more years would have waited but anyways let's wrap up our show and talk about WandaVision um Mm -hmm. since now at the time of this recording episode six has dropped so are we fine with just discussing anything from episode one through five as far as like because one episode five has been out for a week if y'all listen to WandaVision this is your warning now that we will at least discuss like our theories and stuff as we know it from episodes one through five. The weekend, mm-hmm. you can you can we can go into detail because I think five is so far, right? Yeah, yeah, because um we're recording on Saturday, so for episodes came out yesterday, right? Yeah, the sixth episode came out yesterday, so it's like I feel as far as like whoever's listening to this, if you listen to if you watch WandaVision and you listen to us you can't be mad if we bring up something from episode three that's that's all I really want to get across like I can understand we don't have to go into deep like you said like Carolyn you said you've watched only only up to episode four right 
Yeah. So then I'm fine only going up to four because I don't want to ruin anything for you being my co-host. But if the, if we had both watched five, I would have been like, listen, y'all. This you can tell me like spoilers. I also spoilers don't spoil anything the way what it is theoretically. Okay. Tell it means what it means. Like practically, okay. they watch it. Yeah. Yeah. So then this is y'all warning. One through five, one division. We're discussing it. We were going to talk about our theories and let's get into it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so honestly. <laughs> what is what I guess I want I was curious to ask you this first what has been your take on WandaVision from the beginning to now uh she's in an extremely depressive state she's mm-hmm. a woman who's in emotional grief and turmoil and she's lonely and she's scared and mm-hmm. she's um terrified of the world of the of the world that she's inhabiting mm-hmm. so she's afraid that everyone that she loved and knew is really gone. She's dealing with the guilt of the people she hurt, especially Vision, and she manifested reality because she does not want to deal with the real reality. And I think her story is a great the writers being careful with how they portray mental illness and mm-hmm. also and I just love how they're also integrating it into the abilities and it's history and Wanda Ramble um with Monica with Monica Ramble and I will say that when I first saw a promo for WandaVision I was not excited because it was like first of first I'm not all about these people either white fantasy land of you know make believe and I will say it like I can't grow cold on the MCU after Endgame because ish in those last two films and it was not about it like, I also didn't let how in the films they um as I say hampered Wanda's um abilities to prop up the knowledge she should have turned Thanos's ass into dust like she should have and fighting them were like no we need to have a man be the one to take him out so we're gonna make her just clap two pieces of concrete together and like have to be the one to end him I mean, it's it's really dumb that, like, we all know, we all know, like, she literally was holding him off with one hand, and had she not just had to kill, had she not had to just kill Vision, I truly believe that Wanda would have been the one to be able to, like, if not kill him, subdue him. Like, she was gonna kill his ass. She, she could have killed him. Well, like and you know, they want to do the whole. They wanted to make her so emotional and unable to like do it. But I'm just like. If anybody was going to be able to bring him down, I truly believe it could, it would have been Wanda because nobody else could beat him with like strength. No one. But she can literally warp reality in his brain. She could have turned his brain into mush. Right. But, but I do like that the writers, I, the writers for the show aren't the same writers for the film. I love that they're like taking little pop shots because there's like a scene in episode four where um so favorite monica finds out that that um wanda was gonna get and like i like the writers were like acknowledging like yeah we know that she could have done because like this one rolling three thousand people's minds and yes that is not a good manipulating the the minds of three thousand people and keeping them basically in mental enslavement because She's yeah. manipulating reality, she's manipulating their thoughts and their, and their body. That's once she breaks, it's something she's also going to have to be with and doing this thing for about three years to these people. And 
it's like it's got a lot and I know like I when she finally snaps all of it, she's gonna turn she's gonna tear I'm convinced like she's gonna probably create a tear in reality. And like I know I've I've kind of I know a little bit about the house of Esther like, so I know like it's just gonna happen. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's and I think that's kind of like what they're hinting at with her powers is like right now we know as we know it is that she has basically casted this dome and like they call it the hex but like the hex being casted is her way of alter like it alters the reality within that space and yeah. it's like do you really want to agitate the woman who's like emotional balance can expand this thing and we and you have no way of combating it you have no mm-hmm. way of controlling it and it's just like I just, I'm like yeah this it, it shows that why she is one of the strongest people in the Marvel universe and it's so I'm like it's what I like about this show because like from the beginning I was like so what is this about like you know you know there's mystery with it you know that like okay it just starts off and there's like this I love Lucy you think there's like a little psychosocial drama or psycho yeah psychological drama going on but also with mystery and by episode two I think that's when it really gets it it got to me it's like I wonder and one of my theories is that I wonder when Wanda was growing up in the orphanage were the only things they watched as kids were like those old sitcoms like I Love Lucy and I Dream of Jeannie and then also like the Brady Bunch and like and is that why and like maybe those are fond memories of her growing up in the like when she was younger or maybe not before the orphanage because like for y'all who don't know like Wanda and Pietro her her twin brother they were orphans after her parents died in Sarkovia so I think some like the reason she chose to shape the reality that she sees has to be based off of things that she liked so you know family sitcoms and she wants to have a family because at the end of Ultron her brother died (laughs) he didn't have to die but you know they killed him anyways um and then you have Vision being gone so it's the desire for her to want to not be alone in her grief Mm. and to have a family like the family that she always that she wanted to have back and it's just so sad and it's like I I truly do wonder like how much of this is a because as the story goes on and gets deeper you're curious about how much of this does she consciously do because I think a lot of people are ready to like this is her this is her villain moment she's going to become a villain now and it's like I feel like we can't write her off as completely a villain, but it's not, but not, but don't excuse the pain she's causing to other people because people are just, I don't understand why folks don't understand that by now with 2021 and the way writing can be done. Villains and heroes are not black and white. There are heroes who think they are doing the betterment for people, but they cause pain to others. And there are villains who have their own background and stories and damages to themselves that they are like Mr. Freeze is an example that I like to use when people talk about villains I'm like that man just wants to save his wife is he going about it wrong and you know doing the wrong means yes but that at the end of the day that man just wants to save his wife and cure her if people had just let him treated his wife and not like stopped him from doing that he wouldn't have been a villain but I think but what situations like Mr. Freezer from Wanda is like what what could be is how they react to yes. the system. 
Like for Wanda, yes, I understand you're in grief, but at the end of the day, you don't care that you are paying 3,000 plus people well, to be living. And like, that's what I like. I know Wanda, I might last this my theory is that she is going to the grief and the, mm-hmm. the guilt that cause her to mentally break up everything and cause mm-hmm. issues. But I'm just using her as an example. Like, if, right. she, if she then had the mentality, mm-hmm. like, especially like, they are just like, they're just the, the pawns that were there. That's the difference. If right. she doesn't care, that's when you go, well, a hero, a damaged thing. hero. A good. Well, that's my thing. I don't know if it's that she doesn't care about the people in that world. I, and, that, and this goes to my theory. I feel like we have not met the true villain here yet. And I'm not yeah, saying I'm not saying that she's being I just I don't feel like Wanda <clears throat> and like Monica at this point feels the same way where it's like Mon and I like Monica's judgment is that she is someone who's hurting and there is something wrong and she needs help. Mm-hmm. But I feel like there has to be some other influence because or something because there's glimpses where Wanda realizes knows she knows what she's doing is wrong and she like she she knows it's wrong and part of me is like eventually I think she will let the people go who are in there and just let them she has to but I mean like but leave but then she'll be alone with the figments of her family that she's created which is vision um and her babies at this point so, I mean, that's my thing. Cause I'm like, I think she's going to come to the realization that she needs to let these people go. But I don't, don't, I don't know if it's that she doesn't care what she's doing because I think, I don't think she truly knows either. I mean, it's weird. It's weird. Cause I'm like, I'm still trying to figure out, I'm like how much of this is truly is her, her is actually her. And how much of this is possibly an influence of somebody else? Because- But even, but even if she's being influenced, she still has um, responsibility. Still bears responsibility. Oh, no, she it's, still it's, has it's, responsibilities, it's, it's, and she'll have to face them. It's just like yeah. I can't. I'm like, it's not like I don't know. It's not like in a bank hostage situation where you hold the gun to someone's head. Hmm. It's truly like one of those. It's a situation like she is holding people hostage, like controlling their brains. But it's like I I just want to know like how you know like you said like how much of this is solely Wanda doing it? And she does not care about anybody. I mean, like not care as in like in their state of beating and like them at all. Whereas like, is there some other influence happening Mm. here? Because I can understand her breaking in. And again, this is up to episode five. We know about this, that she broke in and she took Vision's body back, which I'm more mad of like, why did y'all have Vision's body? Because- and what were you doing with it? Probably experimenting on it, trying to see if they could Tony's um mm-hmm. Tony's data and his codes and everything. Because you know, you guys, they're not gonna leave something as technology. Yeah. Right. As, and I don't trust sword completely. Dust and rust. Yeah. No, we can't. We see we saw what happened with Shield. We saw what happened with um with, with them. We saw how they were infiltrated. And like when you have Marvel, you have Marvel. Yeah, Big Bad is always somehow manipulating these organizations. Which I think and, is the case. And it's sad because Monica Rambeau's mother <laughs> found found a sword. So like and you got you got this drama now. With white people, like you can't trust these white people. You know, they always trying to. I don't always trust this man. Like, I just, I refuse to trust this man because when he's like, she's a terrorist. I'm like, eh. 
there's she, I don't think she's a ter- like you can't like and how Monica says like I don't think she has a political gain and I like yeah, exactly. that explained what a terrorist is because she's right she's not threatening anybody's lives in there she is not doing this for a political gain or for any reason to take power like you know she's not doing this for the reasons that a terrorist would do it she mm. literally is someone who needs help too but that does not absolve what she's doing done and like monica is truly the only person with sense yeah. monica darcy and agent Wu, which that is the series after this that we deserve and uh, and i want monica rambeau to have movies like you can totally transition her to film series after this extend the universe they need to extend yeah i think that'll that i definitely could see that happening but I guess we will find out because I believe it's only going to be eight episodes. Um, so I'm excited to see where this is going to it's go. Nine, I think it's nine. Oh, nine? Yeah. Okay. Well, however yeah. many, these short, because I will just say, if anyone from Disney Plus is listening, which I doubt it, but can y'all stop making it look like yeah, it's right. a 30-minute episode because I'm sick of that all the, ed- the credits at the end. I don't, like... You'll be ready to watch, like, oh, I still got so much more of the episode oh my left. God, so long. But it's not even a long episode. I'll just be like, y'all really got to stop fooling me into thinking that this is a long, like, full 30 minute episode because they're like 22 minutes at that. I know. Like, just, ugh. But anyway. Yeah, because their credits are seven minutes. Like, I understand they're trying to give um, credit to the people all over the world who are, the credits happen in multiple languages. But I right. think what well, they need to be an option where you can select which language you want. Because seven plus minutes of credit is an extremely long time. And I like to have credit scroll because for me, that's an opportunity shows in our films. Right. But that's just a tattoo. Exactly. But anyways, we will check back in once WandaVision has concluded and see like what mm-hmm. our theories have been proven and like where things are going from there. But yeah with that i guess we could tell the people where they can find us and mm-hmm. watch more things coming well listen and watch for more things that we have coming out um y'all can find me on instagram and twitter at nisha plays um check out stuff for cosplays articles that i'm writing manga that i'm reviewing and you can also follow the show at so here's what happened pod that's s-h-w-h underscore pod on twitter come hit us up and then carolyn what about you so everyone, thank you for joining Lanisha and I for another episode of So Here's What Happened. You can find me on social media at Twitter and Instagram at CarrieCNH12, that's C-A-R-I-E-C-N-H12. You can find my tweets about the films I've been watching, what dramas I'm watching with the hashtag dramas with Carrie, as well as as well as the Saturday Night Sci-Fi hashtag, which we do every Saturday at 10 p.m. Eastern. And for the past year, I've been taking part in the African American Film Critics Association Spotlights and Roundtable, where I and other black critics speak to black creatives in the film, television, and art industries. And recently we've had the pleasure of speaking with Zendaya, John David Washington, Sam Levinson about their new film, Lacma Marie, which has been quite the topic on Twitter, and as well as Judas and the Black Messiah with Daniel Kaluuya, Lakeith Stanfield, director Shaka King, producer Charles King, as well as the son of Fred Hampton, his son, Chairman Fred Hampton Jr. And we also had the pleasure of speaking with Yatida Badaki and Ricky Whittle about the new season of American Gods, which you can find on Amazon Prime. It has been an exciting year and an exciting beginning to 2021 because I also can say that we've also spoken to 
Eddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall about their upcoming new film, Coming to America 2, which we all know is a cult classic from the from the 80s, so everyone has been looking forward to part two. And we have more um, roundtables that you can find um, on the Africa YouTube channel as well as the Africa website, so please go visit the sites and watch the videos and look for announcements for upcoming roundtables. So again, thank you for listening to us and please stay safe. Oh, 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 oh,